G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective, 2020 on Vision. You've probably noticed that attacks against the Christian faith seem to come from everywhere these days. And sometimes the toughest place is to be around your own family dinner table. Well, there are attacks that come from friends, from family, from work colleagues, from teachers, from classmates, and those, of course, on social media. For the Christian believer, you can either duck and weave to avoid the tough questions, or you can get prepared to give an answer. And there'll be times when we'll feel uncomfortable answering the questions of our sceptical friends, but it may be all the more motivation to get equipped with answers to tough questions. Well, our special guest today is Brian Osborne, who's written a book called Quick Answers to Tough Questions. So, nothing's off the table today. You might have your own thoughts, you might have your own question about creation and evolution, and you can join in our conversation today. Brian Osborne is an expert in the use of apologetics-based evangelism and chronological Bible teaching. For 20 years, he's had a focus on helping youth and young adults in the local church to know and defend their faith. These days, he travels the world, speaking at conferences and in churches for answers in Genesis and addressing the growing epidemic of biblical illiteracy. So a special welcome to 2020 to you, Brian Osborne. Welcome. Hey, thanks for having me. Maybe a good day, mate. But I'll say it right. I know I'm trying really hard. Good day, mate. (laughs) But you've got an Aussie connection, Brian. Give us Uh, your insight here into your Australian connection. Sure. Well, I work for a ministry called Answers in Genesis, as you mentioned. And the founder of that ministry is a man named Ken Ham. And Ken Ham is from Australia, from the Brisbane area. And uh, he started this ministry many, many years ago. Uh, Eventually made his way to America through God's leading and really kind of geared up there. And built the Creation Museum and the Ark Encounter over in the States. And the Creation Museum is a 75,000 square foot walk through biblical history, uh, that defends the faith to proclaim the gospel. And then the Ark Encounter is a life-size replica of Noah's art built in Kentucky in the States. And uh, every year, Ken makes a pilgrimage back home, (laughs) and uh, he's often sitting in that chair where you are right now, and uh, certainly a valued guest Mm. on 2020 because he has such insight. He He has such capacity to be able to bring biblical answers. And, of course, the organization Answers in Genesis and this issue of creation versus Mm. evolution, it feels for some people as though the overwhelming tide of evolution has just swamped sure. uh, people who ordinarily would say, of course, God is the creator, that Genesis is history. But people have this niggling doubt in their mind that because what mm. they're taught at school, because what's taught in university right. uh, is all very evolutionary, yep. uh, that somehow or other we even have doubts about that in our own faith. How do you address audiences when you know that you're in a church or it might mm-hmm. be a c- conference and you know sure. that half the people there 
they don't, they're not even believing in creation. And you're sometimes up against it, aren't you? Yeah, I'd say two big things that we really try to point out. And I really believe that God has raised up answers in Genesis for really declaring these messages. Number one, uh, we declare as a ministry that ultimately this issue of origins, evolution, age of the earth, dinosaurs, whatever, that this is ultimately a biblical authority issue. And that is, can we trust what God's word clearly says in the beginning? And here's the bottom line. If you cannot believe the first part of the book, why trust the middle or the end, right? And so we would suggest that really what the enemy is doing today, pervasive throughout the Western world, is he's attacking the Bible's history with ideas like evolution and Aitman and so forth to undermine biblical authority, to undermine the gospel that's based in that authority. Because if you can't believe Genesis 1-1, why would you trust John 3-16? And for so many people today, especially younger generations, but not just them, that is their stumbling block to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Right. And oftentimes, people who have had what they'll describe as a real encounter with God, mm-hmm. uh, something's happened in their heart, something's happened that's turned them around, and they've recognized what it is to receive this forgiveness from God, uh, to understand what it is, even uh, for some, just appreciating the presence of God, some very special things in that. And so for those people, yeah. uh, then all of a sudden they're confronted with what's happened with Genesis and what they've heard at school and what they've heard at university. Is there here something of a choice involved for the believer, a choice to say, I'll believe God over what they're telling me in school and at Mm -hmm. university? Because uh, for some people, that choice is a starting point, isn't it, for the way you interpret the facts? No, absolutely. You said it well, and that kind of leads to the second main thing. I think God has raised up answers in Genesis 4. And that is not only do believers have a choice, but every person, a believer or non-believer, has a choice as to how they interpret present-day evidence. You see, the second major issue that we really must recognize is that the issue of origins and age of the earth, etc., it's ultimately a worldview issue foundationally. Because all scientists, whether they're secular scientists or biblical scientists, they've got all the same evidence in the present, the same rocks in the present, the same fossils in the present, the same distant starlight observed in the present. But here's the key. They interpret those things differently in the present and made different guesses about where those things came from, their origin, and thus their age, based on their different starting assumptions about the unseen past, which are based on your different worldviews. And the key is simply this. If you start with the wrong assumptions, you'll get the wrong conclusions, wrong worldview, wrong conclusions, especially about the unseen past. And that's why uh, some really smart secular scientists can be so wrong about certain things like origins, age of the earth, dinosaurs, etc. And of course, when you've got uh, the Ark encounter, and you mentioned it, uh, it is an icon now around <laughs> the world. Uh, people know of the life-size replica of Noah's Ark. Uh, this idea that Noah's Ark is really important, it's not just picking out a Bible story and making a theme park out of right. it. Uh, the actual importance of Noah's Ark is because no one was there at the origins, but we actually have scientific evidence around the flood. So what you have with the flood right. is uh, one word against another interpreting the facts, sure. and this idea of facts versus fiction comes into play. Uh, it really does. You're exactly right. And we would say a couple of things. Number one, as a believer, we have an eyewitness account to those historical events that's found in God's Word, right? And so we bring that eyewitness account, we bring God's Word and use that as a foundation to interpret present-day evidence through. So basically, the Bible's history 
It gives us the right understanding of the past that we apply to the evidence in the present and can rightly interpret the evidence uh, within the right paradigm of the biblical worldview. And, and the non-believer does the same thing. The non-believer assumes the Bible is not true. They assume you can and must explain all things with only natural processes. So they interpret all present-day observations through a naturalistic, materialistic, atheistic worldview. And that leads you to evolution, millions of years, etc. So again, we've got the same evidence. But two very different interpretations based on your different worldviews. And it's so key because this is where so often believers and non-believers, they'll talk right past each other. You know, I've got this evidence. It's great evidence for uh, evolution. Well, the biblical creationist says, no, that's great evidence for a global flood or for creation or whatever. Same evidence, two different interpretations. Okay, so you have one scientist who says, I believe in God, and it changes his or her thinking mm-hmm. on the way they look at the evidence. Yep. You've got the other scientist who says, I don't believe in God, even though they may have a niggling doubt, right. just as the same way the opposite side does, but they're saying, I don't believe in God. Or I won't believe in God. Yeah. This is a significant issue here because those who oh, will argue vehemently against the creationist view of the evidence uh, is coming from a position where they don't want to acknowledge that there is a creator because then their own life comes into question. Yeah, I, I can tell you've talked to Ken. You're, you're nailing it. You're dead on it, right? <laughs> because sometimes, I'll, I'll actually very often I'll say in my conferences that Ultimately, these issues of origins, it's not a head issue. It's not an intellect issue. It's a heart issue. It's a battle over the will because you got two options in this life. Either you submit to God's word, his word's authority, yours is not, he's God, you're not, or you reject God's word, and then man's ideas, really your own thinking, become your ultimate authority. you got to choose one or the other. And that leads to just a really crucial point, what you're already kind of saying, and that is we must recognize as believers that there is no such thing as neutrality. Everyone's got a worldview. Either you trust God's word or you don't. Either you walk in light or you walk in darkness. Jesus said either you're with me or you're against me. Either you gather with me or you scatter. There is no neutrality. And so as we go into these issues, and it doesn't really even matter what the issue is. It could be origins. It could be a moral issue like abortion or marriage. How you understand that is based on your worldview, and there is no neutrality. Either you submit to God's word or you rebel against it. And that's ultimately a heart issue, as Romans 1 clearly declares. Well, powerfully put, Brian, because what you're saying is what you believe will actually affect the way you think about all of these other issues that are going on. Uh, We've just had a conversation before you came into the studio uh, talking about the freedoms that we've got at risk in Australia right now. These things are being eroded. Mm -hmm. And uh, then taking that to a bigger degree, what's happening in Hong Kong and under a Chinese communist regime, uh, which is a godless regime. And so you've got godless economies, godless countries, godless societies. They think very differently and they have a very minimal standard of what value of human life and freedom. But When you have a society that's been founded under God, then you have a high view of human life, a high view of freedom, a high view of humanity. The outcomes are very different. And so that's why it's important for us to understand these things. Oh, absolutely. You you think about it. Ideas have consequences. What you think about the world, your worldview, 
that has drastic consequences. And, and compare the two worldviews just very quickly. From the biblical worldview perspective, you have God who made man in his own image. Every person is made in the image of God from fertilization. Therefore, every person, no matter their age, their height, their abilities or disabilities, has inherent value, inherent dignity that cannot be stripped away. Right. We understand within the biblical worldview, we all descend from Adam. And that's why we are all sinners in need of a savior called the last Adam, Jesus Christ. And we have to put our hope in him to be saved, to have that redemption. Uh, but we have an eternity after this life, which is either in heaven or in hell based on uh, your submission to Christ or your rejection of Christ. Right. So you had that reality within the biblical worldview. Now, in the evolutionist worldview, the atheistic worldview, what's their view of what's their understanding of the past? Well, essentially, we're all an accident. The whole universe is a cosmic accident. We as humans are rearranged pond scum. We're a chemical reaction. We're equal to that of a worm in our value. And when we die, we're done. And so you can see if you have that view of humanity, then it's going to change the way you act in this world, right? And on so many different levels, it changes the value of humans. We're just another animal. And in that worldview, the atheistic worldview, there's no eternity. So this is life, this life is all you got and it's all about you. Make it all about you. So that plays itself out in a very different way than a rightly understood biblical worldview. Ideas have consequences. Okay, so without God, you actually have no value. And uh, that okay. brings it all down, boils it down it to does, the yeah. obvious. Uh, sure. Under God, you have value. Without God, you have no value. That's why all of those changes can happen. So we understand that, and a great foundation laid for a conversation we're having today, Brian. But for a lot of listeners, people will say, but... What about the whole idea of evolving from apes to men? And uh, I know this is an area that you like to specialize in and talking about fossils and all of those sorts of things. Uh, It is a prevailing thought that somehow or other, as you say, uh, from pond scum, somehow or other up through uh, some sort of an order uh, scientifically, uh, there's an evolution eventually to apes and then on to Human, sure. uh, give us some thoughts here as to how we might approach the facts and the fiction here. Well, yeah, no, good, good question, good lead in. Uh, I would say a couple of things. Number one, dear listener, whoever you are, please recognize that, again, this is ultimately a worldview issue. So all the rock layers, all the bones, we must interpret in the present through a lens about the past. Now, uh, not looking at the Bible for a second, if you reject biblical history, then how do you explain the present day observations? Well, the most popular view in the scientific community is a naturalistic interpretation, which is evolution, which suggests around 14 billion years ago, pretty much nothing exploded or rapidly expanded and produced everything. The Earth popped on the scene roughly 4.5 billion years ago, the hot molten mass, and then life evolved on the scene roughly 3.8 billion years ago and began to evolve onward and upward over long eons of time, going from simple, quote-unquote, single-celled organisms, to fish, amphibians, reptiles, and then mammals, and then finally humans. And we finally popped on the scene a couple hundred thousand years ago, and we've been evolving more and more. Now we're much more intellectual, we're much more sophisticated, have more technology, et cetera, et cetera. That is the evolutionary worldview. And so they conclude all of that not based on evidence per se. They look at the same rocks and the same fossils that a biblical scientist looks at. They look at those things, but they interpret them in a different way. And so really the the conclusions of millions of years, the conclusions of evolution, the conclusions of eight men, that's based on an interpretation of present-day observations through a particular grid, through a worldview, through evolutionary worldview naturalism. And that's why they conclude what they do. And so we would say if you start with the right foundation, God's word and interpret from biblical history, it'll give you the right understanding of present day observations and your conclusions will be much, much different. So ultimately, bottom line, this is not a battle over evidence. 
So the creationist gets their pile of evidence over here. The evolutionist, their pile of evidence over here. Who's got the bigger pile? They win. That's not it. Same evidence, two different interpretations. That is foundational. And those two interpretations, you're based on either God's word or man's word. Those are your two options. Okay. Ape men to human men and women. Uh, the idea that there is a fossil record right. that demonstrates, and uh, you know, for people who are on this evolutionary side, mm-hmm. well, they'll say, well, of course, there must be a fossil record that demonstrates clearly mm-hmm. that the creationist is wrong, that we evolved from apes to humans. Right. Every now and then, you'll see a news headline, some sort of new fossil that's been uncovered. What are your thoughts about the fossil record? So a couple of things about the fossil record we need to recognize up front, just big picture perspective. So recognize first that 95% of the fossil record is made up of marine invertebrates, and that's water critters without a backbone. Now, I would suggest the reason that 95% of your fossil record is marine creatures is because it was laid down by a global flood. That makes a whole lot of sense, right? Of the remaining 5%, 4.75% of that are basically plants and algae. Of the remaining 0.25%, those are vertebrates. Most of those are fish. And then uh, a fraction of that 0.25 are land vertebrates. And a fraction of that are your primates, you would, so the evolutionists would call, or apes or humans. And so a fraction of a fraction of a fraction of the fossil record is actually made of human fossils. And those, those remnants are typically one bone or less per specimen. So they're very, very fragmentary. That means they're wide open to misinterpretation. All right. And so for the secularists, they come to these fragmented evidence, these pieces of bones. They interpret them through their worldview to get their conclusions, and that's why they're so wrong. And I'll tell you, so often in history, look at uh, the history of science, we see how wrong they are again and again and again as they try to interpret stuff to make it fit their worldview. And then eventually they're found out to be incorrect. And that's a consistent theme, especially with human evolution and the so-called ape men. And I guess fame for that paleontologist who's oh, sure. uncovering fossils, uh, they are creating a picture around a fragment that's been found. And Absolutely. it gets them sometimes global headlines. And it's not until long after when it's dis- discovered that that's not necessarily what they were saying, that mm-hmm. uh, that evidence comes to light that uh, that that wasn't the case. But the global headline's already been there and people have been led to believe Absolutely. that there's something in the fossil record. A biblical perspective on life, culture and current events. This is 2020. On Vision Christian Radio. Our special guest this hour is Brian Osborne. He travels the world as a speaker for Answers in Genesis. He's written a book called Quick Answers to Tough Questions, and our talkback line is open on 1-800-316-316. Brian, why don't we take a call? Lawrence is on the line in Perth. Hello, Lawrence. Welcome along. Uh, Good morning. Yes, thanks for this morning's uh, comments. Um, the uh, creation story I see is not just in Genesis, but in the New Testament also uh, alludes to it, such as when it says the prophets sent by God have been persecuted since the world began. And there's another example, and others. This one, God's invisible qualities have been seen since the foundation of the world, obviously seen by man, by humankind. So humans and the world have coexisted since God created it all. Good thoughts there, Lawrence. Yeah, What's no. your response for Lawrence here, Brian? Uh, well, thanks for calling in, Lawrence, and, and you're dead on. Uh, good on you. Uh, if I can use an Australian phrase, try to anyway. Uh, you're exactly right. Uh, it's interesting, just to kind of build on your point a little bit, you know, when Jesus was asked about marriage by the Pharisees, 
what did he do? He quoted from Genesis, as real history. He said, have you not read? In other words, don't you guys read your Bibles? That he who made them at the beginning made them male and female. And for this reason, man shall leave his father and mother, be joined to his wife, and the two become one flesh. And what Jesus was showing is that the doctrine of marriage was based on the biology and the history of Genesis being true. You become one in marriage because a woman came from the man. Like the Bible clearly says, the woman praised God did not come from an ape woman. That'd be kind of scary. She came from the man. And so that biblical doctrine of marriage is found on that history in Genesis. And actually, Lawrence, just to take it a bit further, every single biblical doctrine in God's word, whether directly or indirectly, is founded on the book of Genesis. And we see the origin of marriage in Genesis, the origin of sin and death in Genesis, a seven-day week in Genesis. Why is Jesus called the last Adam? That's all in Genesis, from Genesis 1 to 11. It lays foundation for all those biblical doctrines. If you take away that biblical foundation in Genesis, those doctrines collapse. So so many ramifications uh, of being sure as Christians, we build our thinking on that right foundation. Good stuff, Lawrence. And you draw attention to that scripture out of Romans chapter 1, where there is no excuse because what God has created is clearly seen. And uh, men are then without excuse. So, uh, Lawrence, good to draw attention to that too. And let me just uh, draw your attention to that, Brian. Without excuse, because Mm -hmm. the things that we see around us, uh, creation itself makes God real. Uh, give us your thoughts here on the importance of recognizing that. Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, you know, a little while ago we were talking about, you know, how your worldview has consequences and, uh, and how you look at the world. And it's interesting, from the secular perspective, they will be inconsistent with their worldview. In other words, uh, they will, uh, an atheist can have really good morals. They can have really good values. Why? Because they're made in God's image. The fact they have those values is a reflection that they're made in God's image. So you don't have to believe in God to have good morals, but since you're made in God's image, you'll reflect that because he put that in you. All right. We all in our, we have this all kind of instinctive understanding. Certain things are right. Certain things are wrong. Now that guy's been busted because of the fall, but we have that basic tendency because we're made in God's image. And so because we're made in God's image, he's instilled in us a conscience and these, this moral code based on reflection of who he is. And then also because of the world around us, it is clear from creation that there's a God. And the Bible makes that clear in Romans chapter 1, that his invisible attributes, God's invisible attributes have been clearly on display from the beginning to mankind, right, that he is God and he is real. And so the Bible is clear, not only in Romans but in other places, that it's from our conscience and creation we know there's a God, but Romans 1 says, as unbelievers, we suppress the truth in unrighteousness because as unbelievers, we don't want it to be true. And that's why, again, as I tell people all the time, when we do apologetics, when we defend the faith, when we give answers, we do that to obey God's word and bring him glory, but those aren't the saving things. We use those things to get rid of the excuses to proclaim the gospel that changes the heart. That's what really saves somebody through the power of God's word. You change the heart, you change their thinking, because ultimately, not a head issue, it's a heart issue. Thank you so much to Lawrence in Perth. Our talkback line open on 1-800-316-316. Some Facebook comments coming through. Get your reflection on some of these. Donna says... I do not ever try to put God and the creation in a tiny box limited by my understanding mm. to explain some things and to explain. And she says some things need faith. Mm. For some people, this idea that there's a leap of faith. Sure. What are your thoughts on the fact that, uh, you know, when you say I've had an encounter with God, I have faith, I make a choice. I say, well, I'm going to look at the evidence in light yeah. of Genesis. What are your thoughts for, uh, you know, for the need for faith? 
I appreciate her comments. I truly do. And I think they reflect a, a similar thought that many Christians have as we try to engage this issue. And, and at, at, on the surface, it does sound pretty noble. Uh, but I would like to challenge all of us as Christians on our thinking on this. When we say we don't put God in a box, and what we would say as believers at, at Ministry of Answers in Genesis, we're not putting God in a box when we say this is what he did. We're putting ourselves in a box. We're not limiting God. We are limiting, limiting us to say, okay, what does God's word say? And I will believe that, right? What does God's word clearly articulate about whatever issue, origins, morality, uh, the resurrection? What does it clearly say? And I will limit myself to recognize he is right in all that he says. And so we would say from that perspective, as you look at the biblical kind of origins and the doctrines that flow out of that and how every uh, biblical author refers to that event, it is real history based on the plain language, plain understanding. You don't need a Ph.D. to understand Genesis, right? Just trust the Bible as it plainly reads, interpreted by Scripture, other authors. The text is really, really clear. And the question is, will we limit ourselves to obey and submit to what he says and count that as true and not try to put uh, ourselves uh, above him and reinterpret his clear word to make it fit man's ideas. I love what you're saying here, and uh, you correct me if I'm wrong, but I can hear you say that actually the small-minded thinking is not on the side of the creationist. The small-minded thinking is on the side of the evolutionist who tries Mm. to separate God and put him in a box and try to dismiss him somehow Mm. Uh, for the person who actually then engages with the possibility that there is a creator that he is god uh, they're the people who are thinking outside the box they're the thinking of Mm. not putting god in a box they're the actual uh, critical big-minded thinkers and they're definitely out of the normative today right that's definitely not the majority view definitely you're taking a stand on a minority position when you believe the bible from the beginning Actually, sadly, you're taking a stand as a minority in many of the churches around the world today when you trust the Bible from the beginning, and it is a really big deal. And I would say, yes, we are being critical in our thinking. We are trusting God in his word. And let me just emphasize something to those who are listening, uh, and, and something that's really, really important. We would not for a moment suggest that secular scientists aren't smart or aren't brilliant in their fields. They are. They're typically really, really smart, especially in their fields. But Again, this is not a head issue. It's a heart issue. That becomes a worldview issue. And so if you start with the wrong assumptions, even though you may be smart, you can still get the really wrong conclusions. And that's really what's happening here again and again and again. We've got to keep that in mind. So the secular scientists can be brilliant, but this is ultimately about an interpretation based on a worldview. That's why they can be so wrong. Well, Brian, there's been some comments coming on Facebook. Mm -hmm. Leanne says... I thought evolution theory was disproven, even in the non-Christian world, years ago. But so many still believe it, and it's still in school teaching. A lot of people don't seem to care. Apologetics is very important. Where we came from uh, points to where we are going, where we came from points to where we are going, Mm -hmm. who we are, and the importance of our lives. What are your thoughts for Leanne, who says, uh, I thought this was disproven, and uh, a lot of (laughs) listeners who have heard lots of great guests talking about creation and evolution will say, well, with all this evidence, surely it can't be still something that people hold in high esteem. Yeah, and I definitely understand where she's coming from on that, no doubt at all. Uh, but here's the thing. From a secular perspective, a secular scientist would say, 
Absolutely not. They would argue evolution is stronger than ever. And that'll point it back to, again, that foundational issue we laid from the beginning that this is a worldview issue, right? And so what happens is every piece of evidence that anybody finds, any secular scientist finds, they'll interpret it through that secular evolutionary perspective. And that's why they'll still argue that everything still points to their to their uh, their worldview, their answers being right. They'll still, they'll still argue evolution is true. But she is right. To believe in evolution, you've got to believe in some really non-scientific things. Just a few things to think about. So from the secular perspective, before you get to life, you got to get something before life. So from the secular perspective, you have the Big Bang, which around 14 billion years ago, nothing exploded. And that goes against a known law of science called the first law of thermodynamics. And one of the tenets of that law is that we have never seen something come from nothing. Never. Yet evolution suggests that at its beginning, everything came from nothing. And then somehow you get order out of chaos as after an explosion, you get the orderliness of the universe, galaxies, and solar systems. That goes against the second law of thermodynamics. And then just a couple others really quickly. And then somehow the earth formed. And then somehow life came from non-life, which goes against the law of biogenesis, which says life only comes from life. And then also you got information of unbelievable amounts inside living things, and there are multiple laws in science that tell us that information only comes from a mind. Yet evolution suggests that all the information inside living things came from non-living, non-thinking matter, violating those laws as well. And so I could give you so many more. That's just a little taste. But to believe in evolutionism, you have to believe in some really unscientific things. But they'll still cling to it. Why? Because it's their interpretation based on their worldview, and it must be true because the only alternative is really God's word, and that can't be right. So it's not a head issue, it's a hard issue. Well, what a powerful point you are making, even when it comes to simple things that we take for granted, that we all have a mind, that we're all conscious, that information is what fills our minds. How did that evolve? Well, you know, there are some obvious things that we might take into consideration. We're taking calls on 1-800-316-316. Our special guest is Brian Osborne. Let's take a call from Margaret in Rockhampton in Queensland. Hi, Margaret. Welcome. Hello. Margaret. Yes. You might need to turn your radio down just in the background there because uh, I can hear that's a little bit of an upset for you. What are your thoughts? Um, I was just approached and asked one day um, when I was talking about Genesis. um, The question was, why did God choose to um, throw and condemn Satan to our, our planet Earth? Oh, that's a good one. Uh, this one you've tackled before, Brian? Yeah, in different iterations. Uh, really good question, Margaret. Thanks for calling in. Uh, well, we know God is sovereign, and he is all-knowing, so he wasn't surprised when the devil fell. Uh, evidently, you could maybe conclude from Scripture that the angels have some level of choice and free will. We don't know what that is. Wouldn't define that very clearly. The Bible's not dogmatic on that, but he chose to rebel against God. And God knew he would do that. Now, bear in mind, just because God knew he would do that does not make God responsible for what the devil did, nor with Adam and Eve. You know, I've got a five-year-old son, Ian, and he is awesome. Uh, but, uh, you know, he, he's also sinful because we're all born sinners. And so sometimes if I tell Ian not to do something and I look at him two minutes later and I see him, I can see that look in his eyes. He's about to do what I told him not to do. And if I let him do it to then teach him a lesson, uh, I'm not responsible for what he did. He's still responsible for his action. And so in a similar way, Adam and Eve are still responsible. The devil is still responsible. And, of course, uh, it was man's sin, the Bible is clear, that brought death and suffering to this world. So it's really our fault from that perspective that the creation is corrupted. 
God knew that would happen, and he had the gospel of Jesus Christ planned before time began. And so from a big picture, ultimate eternal perspective, the reason we could say, at least to some degree, that God allowed it to happen in the way that it did, was to show us in a way that could not otherwise be seen his love, his mercy, his grace, his justice, his holiness by sending his son to die for us, to build that bridge back to us, even after we wrecked that God's perfect creation and broke our relationship with him. And so because we did that, he could then show us on a grand scale we could not see otherwise his love and mercy by providing that bridge for us again through Christ. And so I think we're seeing multiple things on display here. Can't answer that question in detail in a short amount of time, but big picture perspective, God knew, man's still responsible. He provides a bridge of salvation to show us how awesome and glorious he is. And Margaret, while we've got you on the line, uh, there is a certain sense in which a question like that goes beyond just a scientific evidence, right. some sort of mechanical or uh, uh, organic way of giving an answer. Because now we get into the realms of, you know, what's theological here, mm-hmm. uh, of what it is to have free will, of whether God actually was taken by surprise by the uh, fall and that sin came into the world. And so these sorts of things go beyond what we're talking about with uh, scientific evidence. And this is where it's so important, because if you want to make sense of it all, no. you've got to have a bigger picture, Brian. No, absolutely. So your worldview will definitely determine how you're interpreting what you're looking at. Even in the Christian realm, as Christians, how do we understand God's word? How do we understand who God is? How do we do we lay it, do we look at God's word as our ultimate starting point? Do we look at God's word as the foundation for all of our thinking? Are we taking every thought captive? And make it obedient to Christ. You know, how we look at the past, how we live in the present, how we look towards the future, those things should be rooted in God's Word. And so often our traditions uh, creep in and they take, take over our understandings. We've got to be sure that we're looking to God's Word to understand all things, yes, about origins, but also who God is, His attributes. And what is the big picture of Scripture? Uh, so often, this is something we deal with quite, quite a lot at the ministry, a lot of even Christians today uh, have a lot of biblical literacy. And one of the main reasons is is because we don't tend to study the Bible chronologically nor see the big picture as we go through. So often we're studying individual Bible stories and Sunday school classes kind of pulled out of context, and we're focusing on a key player in the, in the account, right? Daniel in the lion's den, David and Goliath, Adam and Eve, Noah in the ark, Paul's missionary journeys, and we tend to focus on the people. But in Scripture, ultimately, who's really the focus of everything? That is God. What is history pointing to? The revelation of Jesus Christ. All of history is his story. So we want to understand all of the events in history, all that's going to happen in the future. That's all geared towards pointing to Christ and glorifying God. And when you look at biblical events through that lens, it gives you a whole new, grander perspective on all that's taking place, both past, present, and future. Thank you so much to Margaret in Rockhampton. Our talkback line is open on 1-800-316-316. You might have a question. might be a thorny question you've always wanted an answer to and uh, you'd like to hear from our guest today. Let me just stay on something of this theme because an interesting thing happens when we start to talk about creation versus evolution and we bring the Bible into the picture. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, people reduce the Bible to somehow or other it's got to be an alternative scientific textbook Mm -hmm. uh, to what the science textbooks might say today. And you've already alluded to something pretty important, I think, here, Brian, that there's more dimensions to the Bible than Mm. the idea that it speaks authoritatively in areas like origins. Mm. Uh, And that is when you start to talk about what the 
earth and eternal purposes of God might be. Or you start to talk about this flow that goes through the Old Testament into the New that points to the coming Messiah, the one who would actually be the answer to this fall that happens in Genesis. The idea that how would you see any authority when it comes to uh, how God would allow sin in the first place and allow bad things to even happen on the earth and that he might have a solution to that. So these dimensions of the Bible, much more significant than just seeing the Bible as some sort of a, uh, a scientific textbook. Oh, no, they really are. You're absolutely correct and, and worded well. Uh, they give you, uh, Scripture rightly understood gives you the foundation to understand all that we are looking at, right? Uh, whether we're thinking about the past, looking at the present, or planning for the future, and it gives you a bigger perspective uh, on all these things. And we would say, as you mentioned earlier, Yes, we agree with the secularists. The science is not, or the Bible rather, the Bible is not a science textbook. That's true, and we're glad. Science textbooks change every year. But where the Bible touches on science or to lose to scientific things, we can trust it because it is the very word of God. And God gets everything right because he's God. And again, it comes back to we're going to submit to that ultimate foundation. And here's the key, though. As we do that, as we stand on God's word and use that as our interpretive grid to look at reality, then again and again and again and again, real science confirms the Bible. And you recognize your faith is not only a good faith, it's the right faith, but it's rational, it's logical, it's confirmed by real science, and you have a firm foundation to then stand and defend your faith in a very secular culture like ours is today. And let me just emphasize one time, if not many, that the reason we as Christians, we do apologetics, is to defend the faith, not to win arguments, not to be intellectual. We defend the faith to boldly proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's why you do this. And that's the point of apologetics in Scripture, and that's our passion as a ministry. Well, what a powerful point that is, too, because if we saw our faith as somehow always being on the offensive I mean, people take offense uh, when they hear things about God, about the Bible. But it's not about offensiveness. It's about a defense for what God has said, because it's God who's under attack from the evolutionary side here. And so for the Christian believer to say, well, I'll just roll over and just take that on the chin. Actually, what we're called to do is be contenders for the faith in the marketplace. And so getting equipped here is important, isn't it, Brian? Uh, This idea of getting equipped, this is what you've actually sown your life into. No, you're exactly right. We need to be equipped for numerous reasons. Number one, dear Christian, if you're a believer, God has commanded you and myself to be equipped to defend the faith. First Peter 3.15, always be ready to give an answer for the reason for hope that's in you. You submit to God as you do so. You do it in meekness and fear. Jude 1.3, you contend for the faith. Second Corinthians 10.5, we take every thought captive, make it obedient to Christ. Numerous places where God commands us as believers to defend and contend for the faith. So we do it for that reason. We also do it because we want, pe- we want to see people get saved. Right, So we're going to be obedient to God's word. Uh, we want to see people get saved. And really, for so many people today, they don't believe the gospel because they don't believe the book from which the gospel comes. They think the Bible has been disproved by, quote-unquote, modern-day science. And so we answer these questions. We defend the faith. We contend to get rid of the person's excuses to then give the gospel effectively that gets to the heart and to the mind that can change them from the inside out through God's word, through his spirit. And so we contend to see people saved, and we contend because— I don't, I'm sure you know this, but for so many of the younger generations growing up in the church, we're not equipping them to do apologetics. We're not equipping them to defend their faith. And so oftentimes the younger generations in the church, they ask questions, good ones, like who did Cain marry and what about the ape man? What about dinosaurs and what about carbon-14 dating? 
And for the most part, for about 200 years, we as Christians have said to our kids and great kids and students, I don't know, honey, just trust in Jesus. But when we tell them that, we're actually ignoring their fundamental question they're asking is this, why should I trust in your Jesus? Because the message of salvation through Christ, it comes from the Bible. And dear Christian mom, dad, grandpa, pastor, if I can't believe the beginning of the Bible, why trust the middle or the end? So we contend to equip ourselves and equip our kids to stand firm and not fall away like over two-thirds are. I have a, so so many kids that grew up in Christian church are walking away from the faith by the time they reach college age, most of them uh, who don't return, around two-thirds on average, around the Western world. And so we're seeing the utter exodus of coming generations from the church in many cases because we've not equipped them to answer questions and defend their faith. So this is important on so many levels. And I guess if you said, oh, we hear lots of great creation ministry style teachers that come on 2020, well, there's a need for a whole lot more. Mm -hmm. Uh, People are going to be able to stand up and be a defense for faith in their local church and in their local community. Uh, There's a need for people to be equipped here. It's not just, uh, you know, some people are especially Mm -hmm. gifted when it comes to apologetics. And and you are that. You're you're gifted in the way that you articulate these things, Brian. But there must have been a time when somebody said to you, Brian, you should really pick up that apologetics and sure, uh, and, and really run with that because you're mm-hmm. gifted in it. Uh, there's a certain encouragement. Give us a little insight. When did you f- discover that you had a really abil- a great ability to be able to defend faith and somebody must <laughs> yeah. have encouraged you and given you an opportunity to put you up the front and say, okay, yeah, yeah. here's a risky thing. We're going to give Brian a go. <laughs> Very I mean, risky. You know, yeah, and, yeah. and of course, you've been doing this for 20 years and so you get good at it after that time. But yeah. someone took a risk with you, didn't they? I, I will tell you the story is way too long to really flesh out and, and all it, it's God-given glory because God did amazing things. It's all him. He gets all the glory for it. Um, but, yeah, for me, I grew up in a Christian home, and I was one of those Christians who said, this stuff didn't matter, just trust in Jesus. For the longest time, that was me. And uh, it was many, many years ago where God got a hold of me and said, and he really showed me why it matters so much. And so I started researching on my own. And I was a teacher. I taught Bible history for 13 years in a public school in the States. And so that background gave me uh, uh, just a good training ground of learning how to answer questions from a biblical worldview perspective. And then as I was doing that, I became more and more aware of the importance of creation apologetics in particular. And then so I began teaching in my church on Wednesday nights. So my pastor in my church in Chattanooga, Tennessee. Took the uh, risk. He took the risk. Gary did that. Shout out to Gary. He's probably not listening right now. It's probably late his time. But uh, anyway, yeah, Pastor Gary did that, and he put me up there. And um, and I did it every year, 13-week course, and it grew and grew every year. People more and more kept coming. It was a big church, around 1,000 people. And more and more of my class was being packed out on Wednesday nights, and People needed to hear. They recognized the relevance of it. And then uh, probably about seven years ago, maybe seven, eight years ago, was my first encounter with Ken Ham and talking with him. And God began to kind of just move uh, me in a direction closer to that ministry and working in Ken's heart to think about bringing me on. And that began a conversation. And Ken took a risk uh, and bringing me in and training me, and uh, and uh, which I'm so thankful for. And it's been such a privilege to be part of what God is doing through the ministry of Answers in Genesis through Ken Ham, as he's used Ken for about 40 years now doing this ministry. And now through the Ark Encounter, roughly a million people a year come to the Ark Encounter, 500,000 a year to the Creation Museum. God is using Answers in Genesis in a powerful way. And again, the reason is, is because we're not saying we're here about winning arguments. 
It's about defending biblical authority to proclaim the gospel, to defend the faith, to watch people get saved, and to keep our kids in the church with a firm foundation on God's word. And Brian, people want to hear about this uh, debate between creation and evolution. They want to hear somebody who's got an argument. And so if you actually do get equipped, you'll be in the center of those conversations. And as you are demonstrating, you can be in those arguments and make an adequate defense for the faith, which means... You ultimately win, even though you might cop a bit of a barrage <laughs> at the time, even though you might That's feel right. as though you've been under attack. Yeah. Somebody's been listening to the things Absolutely. that you've been saying because what you're saying is true and right. Let's take another call. Linda is on the line from Brisbane. Hello, Linda. Welcome. Hi, Neil. How are you? I've got a bit of a croaky voice. I just, um, I'm just coming into the back end of the, all the conversation. I'm currently listening to Chuck Missler's commentary on Genesis, and mm. wow. Has this just blown my mind? I love Chuck so much. But, you know, at that last call, she said something about the enemy, you know, why were we put on the same planet? Well, we were put here to destroy his works as, as children of God. And I, and I think if every believer got a hold of that, who we really are in Christ, and he has nothing on us, and we've been put on the same planet to destroy him, and that's why he hates us. So I really believe people should get a handle on that. But listening to Chuck Missler, and it's interesting what your call is talking about, you know, um, as you said, the more you understand about science, the more ge- uh, Genesis makes sense. Um, and, um, yeah, it's just really relevant, actually. But I think all Christian believers really need <clears throat> to really throw themselves into really good biblical commentary with good b- biblical teachers to get a really good understanding of the Scripture, Hebrew, whatever. Um, because I've learnt so much from Chuck Missler. I've listened to lots of different commentaries, but um, amazing. But, yeah, I just wanted to say that last call. Uh, we're put here to destroy the works of the devil, not the other way around. Okay, Linda. <laughs> uh, destroying the works of the devil. Uh, the Bible talks about pulling down strongholds. Mm-hmm. Uh, no doubt listeners will identify that this is a stronghold. Yep. And unless somebody takes a stand and pulls down that stronghold, whether it's in a small group uh, or in a, you know, a sort of a micro conversation or whether it's going to be happening on the big stage as you are on and it uh, needs to be even bigger stages where contentious stuff happens even in the public media. Uh, but there is room for breaking the stronghold of evolution, Brian. Uh, absolutely. And if I can just bounce off what you said, what the caller said, Brenda, I believe. Thanks for calling in. Uh, let me just tell you that um, it's a privilege what I get to do. I, I love doing it and God's using it in a wonderful way. But often I tell people, you know, I'm a butterfly. I, I come in and I speak, I do a conference and I leave. Real change, real equipping, real pulling down the strongholds takes place when the believers in a local community, in a home, in a church, when they are committed to standing on God's word, to getting the answers, to defending their faith, to equipping their coming generations where they live, that's where it really takes root. That's why a huge part of what we do as a ministry is equipping people to do this on a real local level with the website AnswersInGenesis.org. The, there's thousands of books and DVDs for all age groups, all brackets, tons of free stuff on the website to give you answers to defend your faith. And let me just encourage the listeners, you don't need a PhD to defend your faith. If you've got one, fantastic. Use it to the glory of God. But what you need to defend your faith is a biblical worldview. 
Trust the Bible from the beginning. Build from that as your foundation. Take all thoughts captive. Make them obedient to Christ. Interpret the evidence through that grid, and you'll have answers. It's amazing, and they're not that hard. Trust the Bible. You can defend your faith and use it to proclaim the gospel. Thank you so much to Linda from Brisbane. And really just a couple of minutes remaining in our conversation. And uh, you're in Australia for the next month and a half, Brian. And there's going to be opportunity for people all around the nation, uh, particularly those who are closer to the capital cities, to be able to access Mm. you and to hear some of your messages that you're going to be bringing. And there's going to be different focus where you are speaking at different places. Uh, But let me just mention Brian Osborne. He's been our guest today. He speaks for Answers in Genesis and uh, addressing all sorts of really great issues. Uh, There are some really good resources that you can get from Answers. Answers in Genesis and uh, the connection point, of course, AnswersInGenesis.org. We mentioned Brian's book is called Quick Answers to Tough Questions, but there's all sorts of other resources like the Answers Bible Curriculum, Mm. and you'll be able to see Brian speaking around the nation. He's going to be speaking at North Butterham this weekend at the Light Point Baptist Church this Sunday, 9.30 a.m. On Sunday afternoon at Heritage Park at Browns Plains Presbyterian Church at 6 p.m. And he's talking on the topic, One Blood, One Race, One Saviour. And the itinerary is going to be on the Answers in Genesis website for listeners who are not in the immediate vicinity where he's speaking this weekend, but he's going to be speaking all over Queensland. And uh, throughout October into mid-November, he's going to be visiting Perth. He's going to be in Darwin. He's going to be in Adelaide and in Tasmania. So the Answers in Genesis website, a it's answersingenesis.org. And uh, Brian, just wonderful uh, to have you drop in to, to see us today. No doubt we'll talk on another day as well and uh, into the future. But thank you so much for taking some time to share your thoughts and your heart with us here on 2020. I so appreciate it. It was a blessing, uh, and I'm looking forward to seeing the rest of Australia. It's been incredible thus far. Before you go, thanks for listening. There's lots more great audio on demand, or you can listen to us live at visionradio.org.au. And remember, Vision is listener-supported. Your donation, large or small, will help us continue connecting faith to life for hundreds of thousands of people across Australia and around the world. Learn more or donate today at visionradio.org.au.